We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Wednesday, the 19th day of October, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and Weston. Bruce, how are you today? It's good to have you back. Sorry you weren't feeling well yesterday, but uh, hope you're on the mend. Yeah, healthy and alive. Uh, I was actually doing well yesterday. It was just a matter of uh, only having three hours of sleep, and I, I just wasn't going to be able to last it through the podcast. So I understand. I, I understand all too well. <laughs> Some days where I'm like, look, dude, I slept like two hours. We're just going to do a rerun today. It's just, yeah, it happens. Yeah. But it happens, um, yeah. yeah, Pavel and I ended up doing one. We We spent an hour in prep, and we didn't talk about a single thing that we prepped on. We just started and it ended up being about self-development and how to... I thought it was a great talk, a, by the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Weston, <laughs> how are you? Weston's joining us from uh, CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Weston, it's good to have you back this week. Unfortunately, we will not have you next week, but we look forward to having you two weeks from now. But how are you today? Thank you. I'm doing great. Uh, I just had a podcast uh, with the fakeologist that Melissa and I did. The fakeologist last night that I think went well. Um, we're going to post it on CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com today, God willing. Um, we I'll just talked more about, yeah, Alan and sort of, uh, you know, sort of his, what was going on behind the scenes a bit. We, we talked about, and we talked a little bit about like what he's about and so on as well. Um, Typically when you're on, we, uh, we discuss the individual that, well, your work is based around and was responsible right. for, uh, waking people like myself up. Uh, and that's the late Alan Watt. And you run a mm -hmm. website that has pretty much all of his uh, collected works. And I, uh, I, of course, I encourage people, I always encourage people to uh, to go over to your website and give that a visit. Have you written any articles this week? I have not written, I let not sure write the article for this week. Um, so I actually do plan to write more, although I don't know if I'm going to, I don't want to try and like take a not sure spot because she's the one who's posting an article every week that discusses, mm -hmm. okay, here's the latest news and here's how Alan Watts message ties into it and, and so on. Here's what, you know, um, yeah, I understand. And then, uh, so I might try to go a different direction. Like uh, I, I'm thinking, uh, maybe a more long, longer, like it, maybe like a more like after months. Like I'll, I'll, I'll finally turn out an article that's like a bit more researched than a typical not sure piece. Not that not sure doesn't do any research. She's just is sharing out weekly, so she's just going through the current event stuff. She's not like you know looking back at history or anything. So I might go like in that direction because you have my own identity rather than just copying not sure. Of course, yeah, of course. Uh, um. I, um, I've got a lot of audio that we're going to get to today. Most notably, I got a 14-minute clip of uh, something that uh, Alan was talking about uh, involving a specific gentleman. And, well, I'm not even sure if I can call him a gentleman, but you'll, you, the listener, you're going to have to decide what you think of this individual. But uh, I ran across this clip this afternoon, and I thought, this is, a, this is a great clip, and this is a great topic that we're going to talk about. This is a topic that everybody, at least if you're paying halfway bit of attention, even if you're not paying halfway bit of attention, I suppose, because if you're in the... The, the loony bin. Uh, if you're one of these crazy people that are part of animal rebellion or extinction rebellion or just stop oil, which we were talking about in 
having a look at some of those eco-warriors before we started. And they've got chapters in every country, it seems like, under different names and different uh, titles and different subsets to cause havoc in a neighborhood or a city near you. And so uh, today we're going to talk about climate change. And we're going to talk about the violent swings over the course of the last 80 years and when actually all this started and who's responsible for it. That's the bigger thing right there is who's responsible for it. At least the part that's going to affect you and your day-to-day life, your standard of living. Who's responsible for that? The shipping of our jobs to China? Who's responsible for that? The downgrading of your standard of living? Who's responsible for that? The changing of the human diet? How you're going to nurture yourself? Who's responsible for that? All of these questions will be answered by the time we're finished today. You're going to hear familiar voices, and you're going to hear unfamiliar voices. You're also going to hear some connections that, quite frankly, when I found out about this connection this afternoon, which I was talking about with you in prep, I was a bit shocked. But it comes as no surprise, of course not. So um, to begin, I thought we would uh, discuss, and of course, Bruce has got all of his facts and figures and statistics. He's got his notebook there over his right hand, uh, and he's going to be reaching back for it here very soon when we start talking about percentages and tonnage of CO2 and all of that, because yeah, you've <laughs> you've done your research and you you crunched some numbers on that. So looking forward to that. But let's start at the beginning, at least from what we understand. Bruce, you were able to find an article in prep where this goes back to the early 1900s, right around the turn of the 20th century. This started. Yeah. So the research surrounding it uh, was starting in, it started in the 1800s. And the The thing is, the research surrounding this was not for climate change. What they were discovering was things like one uh, Joseph uh, Four. I'm sorry, uh, maybe Four. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, Um, I'm horrible at pronouncing names. So, uh, but he hypothesized that the Earth would uh, be far cooler without an atmosphere. So this is one of the things they went off of. John Tyndall um, and also Eunice Newton Foote, I guess is how you're supposed to pronounce the name, separately demonstrated that carbon dioxide and water vapor trapped heat and suggested that an atmosphere could do the same. Shortly thereafter, in 1912, was the first article that I could find that was talking about uh, climate change. And that's when they, when it was pushed in the general media. Science hadn't agreed to this yet. Science hadn't uh, stated this fact yet. They, they hadn't done the research on it. This was a political push. The, the science on it didn't come until later. Which even so, the science... We, we've been looking at science, right? I'm, I'm kind of enunciating there a little bit. Science over the last few years. Science has been proved to be... Well, uh, it's all about money because you're moving at the speed of science, right? Don't forget what the Pfizer associates said at the EU hearing just this past week. But in the 1950s, I was always told in in the 1950s, uh, 60s, somewhere along in there, that there was a push coming out of Soviet Russia for climate change. And it was listed in their uh, their publication there called Pravda. And of course, it was picked up by academics and, quote, intellectuals here in the West with their infiltrated Marxist institutions, and they decided to push it. But it goes back even further than that, though, because you had ideas that were floated centuries before that, not necessarily about the climate per se, but Weston, you were talking about it in prep as well, Sir Thomas Malthus, which guys like Mm -hmm. John P. Holdren, guys like Paul Ehrlich, guys like Dennis Meadows, 
Neo-Malthusians, those guys, you know, Club of Rome, United Nations based on these things, Rockefeller Foundation, all fans and all people that started the Club of Rome. They were subscribed to kind of the same idea based on, you know, populations balancing that with resources and, and having an ecosystem based around that. And if you want to control that, if you want to create an administrative state based on that, well, then what better way than climate change? Yeah. Horton Randers, one of, also another one of the co-authors of, of Limits to Growth, he actually has in his book 2052 uh, that, uh, you know, like there's like he's like he gives the example of a deer population that, you know, you know, keeps on doesn't have any predators and just keeps on growing until they, they run out of food and they just start dying off. And so, you know, therefore, you know, you have to you know keep the population in check. Otherwise, you know, nature will do it for you sort of thing. That's the same analogy that Prince Philip used. And it's a very traditional aristocratic analogy because, you know, it's a traditional pastime of aristocrats is to hunt animals. And so they, they keep track of the animal populations of their land, you know, so they can make sure, okay, I need enough. I, I want to have enough deer to kill. So I have to look too hard, you know? <laughs> um, and so, but, you know, it's a sort of a traditional, we don't realize, you know, the common folk don't realize that it's, it's just a sort of common sense matter of fact that, okay, there's, there's too many people you know, overpopulation is a serious problem. First chapter of uh, Brave New World Revisited, as I mentioned in my article. First chapter is about overpopulation. Alice Huxley wrote. You know, and they they really so you know it's not just I mean of course climate change is the excuse to make it palatable to the public. Okay, so you know okay how do we convince the public that they need to populate? And, and they have a lot of people have been convinced. There are couples who have even committed suicide because the future is going to be so horrible because of climate change. That's actually happened to, in some That's cases. Unbelievable. I mean, not, That's unbelievable. Fortunately, yeah, unfortunately, not that many, but there are there were some couples who did who committed suicide. And there's also people you're know, saying I'm not going to have any children because children are bad for the environment because they have to consume all so many resources in order to live and you know have a decent lifestyle. And so it really is uh, sort of the, that's how they, you know, the climate change idea is how well, before climate change, it was global warming. And before that was global cooling in the 1970s. Time magazine had articles about that and various other uh, scientists and so on at the time were talking about it becoming ice age. And so they just keep on switching it. And so let's say, OK, we switched from global cooling to global warming and now it's not global warming anymore. So we're, it's not really warming anymore. So we'll just call it climate change. That way we can never be wrong. And uh it's it's basically it was it was supposed to be the big battering ram or they were it was one like plan a basically plan a was climate change to be the big battering ram to destroy the economy and you know depopulate and of course the, not enough people or too many people were talking about uh speaking out against climate change including alan watt and many others and so they came up with uh corona virus of course and then you know that the pandemic idea and that got the lockdowns and that finally killed lots of small businesses which they were hoping in the 2008 crash and they were hoping to bring in austerity and get rid of small businesses and so on for good after the 2008 crash. It didn't quite work out that way. It wasn't as effective as they had hoped. And so they finally, you know, got some progress on that with the corona being virus scare. And then they did the, and then, and of course, if even, if now that lots of people are speaking out against coronavirus, of course, they also have the war scare, the war scare, which Helena Handbasket, who's a longtime follower of Alan, and Alan read, read lots of Helena Handbasket's articles on air. He recently wrote an article that we posted on the website on this Sunday, you know, talking about how it's very unlikely that the war, that there actually, there actually is going to be like a, like a, a, war, a major global war just because people are so compliant. But obviously it's in the wings, like if, if necessary, like if there really is an uprising, we're saying, OK, this coronavirus is nonsense and, you know, we're not obeying anything anymore. Obviously, if it doesn't work, they, I, I'm, I have no doubt the elite will be perfectly willing to have, a, yeah. you know, a war, have bombs and 
Yeah, uh, that's, I think it's unlikely. I agree. I agree with Helen and basically. I mean, people. Yeah, are, it's, too many um, people are compliant. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I have to agree with that as well. Uh, but it's always, it's always the bankers' fallback, isn't it? It's always war. Yeah. If if something doesn't work, yeah, the bankers and, and when blood runs in the streets, that's when Rothschild makes his money. That's right. That's right. Global cooling, 1970s, right? <laughs> so we talked basically about the origins of this worming its way into American academia and Western politics. 1970s, global freezing, right? That's what we were told. Oh my goodness, there's a new ice age coming. Scientists around the world are all agreed they don't know what to do. Here's a TV clip from a documentary that was produced in 1977 by. Uh, I, I don't know who did this. Like, I don't know who the production is, but this is the voice of Leonard Nimoy, who played Mr. Spock on the popular Star Trek original series for anybody that doesn't know who that is. Um, this is him narrating this documentary. Take a listen. The worst winter in a century struck the United States. Arctic cold ripped the Midwest for weeks on end. Great blizzards paralyzed cities of the Northeast. One desperate night in Buffalo, eight people froze to death in marooned cars. Pat Bushnell was on the road that night. Traffic just absolutely stopped. I was afraid of being stuck in the car all night long with the uh, cold and the wind running out of gas. And then what? I think that if we had to go through a real bad winter, just like we just went through, I think we'd have to think about moving someplace else. Move where? The brutal Buffalo winter might become common all over the United States. Climate experts believe the next ice age is on its way. According to recent evidence, it could come sooner than anyone had expected. At weather stations in the far north, temperatures have been dropping for 30 years. Seacoasts long free of summer ice are now blocked year-round. According to some climatologists, within a lifetime, we might be living in the next ice age. Boy, that's um, that's polar opposite, Not no pun intended, uh, from what we've been hearing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's completely different than what we hear nowadays. Of course, they, they, they still push the narrative, as, as uh, was said earlier, they switch to climate change so that they're always right. Because now uh, we have the uh, temperatures over in California or the West Coast here in the United States, uh, you know, uh, the drought and everything. And then at the same time, the drought's going on over there. Here in the Midwest, we're having, you know, good rains. I mean, we are in a dry spell here as well. But at the same time, we're supposed to have like a really harsh winter. Now they're going to have more of their narrative pushed that, oh, see, it's because of climate change and man-made blah, blah, blah. And it's like, go back 100 years. We were just as dry as we are here in the, in, in the prairie lens as we were back then. And they also had harsh winters at the same time as well. So it's like it, it, it's almost like it's a cycle. It, it, it hasn't changed. Yeah. And uh, of course, everyone, I hope, has heard of the Michael Mann's hoppy stick and how they hid the medieval warm period. There's a little ice age that happened in the 17th century. And then, you know, there's a warming period right up into the 20th century. And then we started going back down to cooling recently, um, probably in the 90s and 2000s, I think, if I remember correctly. And uh, so we see uh, up and down, up and down. It fluctuates just like the stock market. You know, JP Morgan, that was one of the things he said, you know, when someone asked him, OK, what's going to happen in the stock market? He said, well, it'll fluctuate, you know, 
but the weather is similar to that you know the temperature uh, the average temperatures and the climate and so on and also don't forget volcanoes as well they erupt and they spread ash all over the atmosphere and that can cause temporary cooling as well they they meant they fail to mention that as well as solar activity they they leave these two very important points out yeah yeah and these are these are you know natural forces that are much uh, much more uh, effective at changing the weather than man is, at least as far as uh, the science that we we're given. So we were told global freezing in the 1970s. Then we were also told uh, th what came after that was acid rain. I remember specifically being taught acid rain when I was a kid. And then, of course, the 90s rolled around. You had the hole in the ozone layer that wasn't the hole in the ozone layer. But I didn't realize that they were also saying at the time that we only had 10 years left to live. That sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like AOC or, or one of these nonsensical lunatics out there that are saying, you know what, if we don't do anything, then we're all going to be dead in 10 years. We're all going to be dead in 12 years. I think Bernie even said six at one point in time. At, yeah, yeah that, I had the same look on my face. But let's go back. Let's go back to the 1990s. Let's go back to Al Gore. In our lifetime, he's been the uh, the hatchet man, right? He's been the ball carrier for the carbon tax and the cap and trade thing. And uh, he was, of course, he was the vice president under Bill Clinton. So thank you, NAFTA. Thank you, GATT. Here's a guy who, by the way, he got most of his money from a company called Occidental Petroleum. And he was the one of the heads of that. And then he, of course, was involved in uh, big tobacco. And his father was involved in big tobacco as well. Uh, so he's... Yeah, he's no stranger to uh, to either of these industries, but yet he's been the ball carrier. He's also the same guy that got together with a guy named Ken Lay to develop the carbon tax, the cap and trade scheme, where you're going to swap the carbon credits. Wait a minute, who's Ken Lay? Oh, that's right. He was the CEO of Enron, if anybody remembers the Enron scandal, the energy deal company there. This is Al Gore back in the 90s, and you're also going to hear another familiar voice on this clip as well, the late, great Rush Limbaugh debating on Nightline about the climate. Or strategic problems, which include the hole in the ozone layer, which now could appear above the United States, global climate change, the destruction of the rainforest at a rate that means they'll be totally gone in another few decades unless we stop, the pollution of the oceans and the atmosphere and the like. These represent brand new challenges that call for a new kind of response. Rush, I've, I've listened to you many afternoons, as you know, uh, and you tend to, I don't want to say you dismiss all of these issues, but at least you dismiss them as having been proven beyond a shadow of a doubt. Well, absolutely. I don't think that there's anything conclusive about what Senator Gore said, with all due respect. I think, for example, there is no ozone hole over the United States. Uh, and if we want to get into the detailed discussion of ozone depletion, we can. But uh, I, I think, Ted, that there is not a crisis. See, this is the problem I have. I don't think the Earth is fragile. I don't think the ecology is fragilely balanced. And I think that the doomsday industry that is typified by members of the Hollywood acting community who say we've only got 10 years left to save our planet. We've got to act now. There is no way if what these people say is true that we can solve these problems in 10 years anyway. It's budget time in Washington. NASA's being cut. And I think that this this fright and and uh, doom scenario is designed to frighten people. Everything in this country today seems to be a crisis. We can't do anything without it being have, uh, having to face it as a crisis. We don't have any time to think about it. Uh, there are as many scientists, uh, maybe even more, on the opposite side of all of these doomsday predictions. And and I think that that's they need to be true. listened to. Yeah. Oh, yes, there are. That, that's not true. If I can right. jump in there, Ted, where the ozone hole is concerned, for example, 
the linkage between these chemicals, chlorofluorocarbons, and the ozone hole is established. There may be one one hundredth of one percent of the scientific community that disputes it. Oh, no, 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 it's far more than that. Ted, that the environmental movement, as, as fueled by the militants who lead it, uh, I think is the new home of socialism. The I ozone hole is threatening to open up above North America, above Kennebunkport, and still we're not reacting. Sounds like a familiar discussion about a different topic. The hole in the ozone layer, again, it ended up not even being a, uh, an issue. It ended up not even being true. And yet they pushed it anyway. Limbaugh was right about one thing in particular. The climate change movement is the new home of socialism. And that's what it's become. And you'll understand why it's been pushed that way very shortly. Your guys' comments on this? John Tellingball also agreed with that statement. He put out a book called, uh, you know, Watermelons, you know, green on the outside, red on the inside. I think that's a good way of putting it. You know, the greenies are the new the communist socialist type movement. And uh, of course, that's what Mikhail Gorbachev went into. He, he's had the Green Cross International. You know, he, he once, once the Soviet Union fell, you know, he was into his uh, green charities and, and environmentalism and so on. Another thing that was interested that Limbaugh said in there that I would agree with is that they're constantly using crisis, crisis in order to ram through all these changes. Without and, thinking. You know, very much without thinking. And, and it's, uh, you know, and of course, the climate modelers and, you know, are like different environmentalists have come out and said that, you know, the public won't ever do anything unless we terrify them. So we have to exaggerate and come up with scary scenarios. Um, so, you know, this is a this is a classic tactic of, of people who think that they're better than you. They, there has to be problems and constant problems. And they have to, if there are any problems, they have to create the problems because other, if there are any problems, you won't want to change. You won't want to do what you, they're telling you to do. You just want to do what you know, whatever you want to do. And so they have to have these crises, these scary scenarios to terrify you. It's interesting that there was actually a ozone layer crisis that happened, if you will. And it was over Australia. There was... Uh, in fact, I had a relative visit Australia here, uh, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago. And uh, it's probably been seven years ago. During that time, they actually still had the ozone crisis. They no longer have the ozone crisis. There is no ozone hole over Australia. Here a year or two ago, scientists said, hey, it's sealed up. Now they're no longer going after the uh, uh, whatever the, the, the types of carbons he was talking about there. Uh, which one was it? Fluorocarbons, okay. I think you said. Uh, now they're going after the... Hydrochloric. Yeah, okay. They're going after the ones that we uh, created to replace those. They're now going after those ones as well and uh, trying to come after people with like air conditioning and whatnot. Um, if you've had an air conditioning leak and they have to come in and, and refill the, the coolant or, you know, instead of costing 50, hundred bucks, now you're looking at like upwards of $800. I mean, it, it, it's getting ridiculously expensive for air conditioning repair and maintenance. Um, this is all again, pointing out that he was a part of the oil industry. That's all this is. It's a con game for him, at least for him. It's a con game. I don't think he believes the socialist BS. I think he's a dupe. They're using him. He's making money. And that's all he cares about is he's making money. But to the left, as you said, the greenies, uh, they're red on the interior. Yeah. And he owns the company. Actually, he, he as again, again, as I said, he created the company with Ken Lay. 
And now he has his partner, uh, Mr. Blood, and his company is literally called Blood and Gore. You couldn't make it up. And they're going to sell you the carbon exchange. Well, I think it's a generation investment management. I think they have, don't they? Yeah, yeah. But his partner, yeah, his partner's name Uh, is Blood. And his partner's David Blood. Yeah, (laughs) David and Gore. Yeah, Blood and Gore. And yeah, they're going to make a killing because they're going to make sure that you have to pay for the uh, the carbon swaps. And of course, this all goes into everything that's being pushed out of the Davos Group of the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab in the Great Reset. You'll own nothing. You'll be happy about it. You'll eat bugs. And but again. Everything has to be a crisis. President Joe Biden talking at the podium about how it's an emergency. We've got to deal with it. Climate change is an emergency. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to use the power I have as president to turn these words into formal, official government actions through the appropriate proclamations, executive orders, and regulatory power that a president possesses. Yeah, okay, great. And then, of course, who can forget Prince Harry at the United Nations? How many of us feel battered, helpless, in the face of the seemingly endless stream of disasters and devastation. I understand. This has been a painful year in a painful decade. We're living through a pandemic that continues to ravage communities in every corner of the globe. Climate change wreaking havoc on our planet, with the most vulnerable suffering most of all. The few weaponizing lies and disinformation at the expense of the many. And from the horrific war in Ukraine, to the rolling back of constitutional rights here in the United States, we are witnessing a global assault on democracy and freedom. Brought about by the climate change movement, I would argue, and many other agendas that are in play along with it. What's the matter, Bruce? You look upset. Yeah, that 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 is quite the slap in the face and an insult. Um, having a royal here on our lands telling us, I understand your plights. Bro, you've been spoon-fed, silver spoon-fed the entire time. You have billions of dollars. You have no idea what it's like being poor and what we deal with. So, no, no. But Bruce, he he cares about the client. You heard him. He cares about the client. He took a 130,000-pound private jet to get there. Yeah, exactly. And how many tons of carbon did he release in that while telling us we have to relinquish our carbon usage. You know, the hypocrisy is real. As I was telling you last week, I'm, I'm talking to people now that have been usually along with the uh, the agenda of the climate change thing because it's, you know, the left wing social justice equal eco warrior thing to do. And most European parties, because of their political stances, they take the climate change thing into part of their platform. They guilt trip the people into into believing it, uh, as in like the whole thing, hook, line and sinker. And now they're saying, hey, wait a minute, these people that have been telling us that we need to change our lives, they're not changing. And I said, oh, yeah, you noticed that, huh? Yeah, you noticed that? I want you to take a look here of uh, Al Gore's 10,000 square foot Bellmead mansion. And he consumes uh, electricity about the uh, about 12 times as the average homeowner in Nashville, Tennessee. Gentlemen, I don't see a single solar panel on top of that, do you? I I don't. I don't. Uh, I, I don't. Maybe maybe he's using geothermal. Maybe that's what maybe. It is. Yeah, it could be. I I don't know. I mean, he he cares so much about the climate. You see, and of course, you have to keep the scaremongering, right? We have to gin up that fear because it's crisis. As we talked about yesterday, it's you have to promote an atmosphere of fear and paranoia to force a behavioral change. I can think of. No better way to promote fear than to continue on with this line. Al Gore in 2014, December 10th, 2014, he was speaking to uh, a delegate of scientists 
about the polar ice caps. Listen. Another new study to be presented by U.S. Navy researchers later this week warns it could happen in as little as seven years. Seven years from now. In the last few months, it has been harder and harder to misinterpret the signs that our world is spinning out of kilter. Seven years. 2014, seven years. Polar ice caps completely melted. That's what he was referencing there. Se- seven years. Are the polar ice caps melted, gentlemen? I think we're, we're past seven years. Are the polar ice caps melted? No. Nope. In no, fact, we've I know seen of. gains. Yeah, yeah, we've seen record gains. They, they reported it in Antarctica. It was like the coldest year on record down they had record gains in the the ice growth this year of course that also had to do with two major volcanic eruptions in the southern hemisphere this past year of course they again they failed to mention that because of the drop in temperatures down there because it circumnavigates with the gulf streams and the yeah so that kind of kind of happens but bruce i pulled this next clip especially for you especially for you i pulled this next clip you talk about fear-mongering you talk about scare-mongering this one takes the cake This one really takes the cake. This was last year. Al Gore talking about climate change, sitting in front of the green screen, showing it was a photo from the space shuttle showing just that thin layer of the troposphere, right? Just that thin layer saying, look, see, see how thin our atmosphere is already. And and look what we're doing to it. You're going to love this. China could surprise the world at Glasgow by uh, pulling forward its uh, date for reaching net zero, now 2060, which is a bit too far off. Uh, They could pull forward their date for peaking emissions. And I I will not be surprised if one or both of those uh, announcements are not made by China in Glasgow. I hope they are. To have some of these fossil fuel companies still to this day financing absolutely false information Mm. to try to deceive people into thinking that the climate crisis is not real or not that bad or that they have that they have solutions in their purview. The CEO of one of the giant oil companies, Chevron, said the other day that they're going for renewable natural gas. (laughs) Well, that's ridiculous. Uh, (laughs) There is no such thing. Uh, And it's it's yet another in a long line of deceptions that are are designed to fool the American people into thinking that this is not something they need to be concerned about, but they are concerned about it. And in the last three months alone, one out of every three Americans has experienced one of these climate-related extreme weather disasters. You you see behind me, this is a a picture from uh, one of the space shuttle missions that shows how thin uh, the atmosphere is, the troposphere, the part where the greenhouse gases uh, are collected. Uh, we're putting 162 million tons into that every day as if this is an open sewer. And the accumulated amount now traps as much extra heat every day as 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every 24 hours. And most of that heat's going into the ocean. So, you see, we've got the equivalent of 600,000 Hiroshima atomic bombs exploding every 24 hours. You see how serious it is, gentlemen? That sounds horrifying. (laughs) (laughs) And the amount of, I I don't know, hypocrisy, redirection on, on everything that he said? Yeah. That, it's also a good place where that video pauses. It's quite a smug look he has on his face. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, uh, he's the one that's really giving you all the disinformation. Yeah. What they failed to show in that picture that he's talking about how thin our atmosphere is, 
they don't go through how many miles thick that actually is, nor do they show you the full scale picture. You see, that picture was so small, you could barely make out the arc of the Earth, right? The, the uh, curvature of the Earth, which means it's a very small portion, under 20 miles or so of, of our, because it's about 25 miles plus is where you start seeing the curvature of the Earth. Uh, if you do any less than that, it, it looks relatively flat. So in other words, that's such a small photo that you don't get the, the scale of, of the planet and the thickness of the atmosphere and everything. It, it, what, what is it? Something like, I forget the exact numbers of what our atmosphere thickness is. Um, I want to say it's like 31 miles, uh, but it may be higher than that. I'd, I'd have to look to get the exact numbers. But um, I, I, I talked about the, uh, the, the amount of tonnage that we put into the atmosphere and the, the, the claims that they make that it's, uh, you know, we're, we're doing so much damage by putting so much CO2 in the atmosphere. I'd have to figure the the, the tonnage that he was saying, uh, because the one that I figured was what Gates was saying at a later or earlier date, I think. Uh, this video was yeah. fairly recent, right? This was last okay. year, yeah. He was talking about Glasgow, last year. Okay. COP26. So the, uh, okay, so the, the Gates one was uh, an order. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, it's something in the lines of 0.0000009 roughly percent of our atmosphere is what they're talking about. And the amount of, they're, they're saying, basically what their argument is, we're putting more CO2 into the atmosphere, which is causing more solar radiation to be absorbed and trapped in, in our atmosphere, which is causing temperature rises and, and fluctuations and weather and all of that. What they fail to mention is we're coming out of an ice age. Okay, we, we, we have had, I, now we're coming out, we're in the warming period. The cycle is somewhere around 100 to 150,000 years, roughly. Uh, we're coming out of the ice age cycle, so everything's going to be warming. As things warm and temperatures rise, the oceans start re uh, releasing more CO2. More CO2 in the atmosphere does cause warming, true, but it also causes more water to evaporate, which causes... Uh, more precipitation around the planet and places that are typically arid will become greener, which means you'll have more vegetation growing. And then places that are already fairly green are going to have more of a tropical climate. They'll, they'll start edging towards that. At one point in time, we had our poles were had tropical weather at one point. So we're still in the cool period right now. We, we still have a, a lot of temperature to, to gain in this. So uh, the, the argument that they're they're putting forth, this is again, this is a depopulation socialist agenda. This is not uh, trying to save the planet. This is trying to keep you in captivity. Uh, some of the dates that they're talking about is uh, the we first seen climate change begin in 1830, 1850, around about the time that we started having uh, industrial revolution stuff. And right, right about the time we started uh, uh, creating manufacturing and 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 started growing in that. That's basically what they want to want us to go back to is before that time period, before uh, we, we had industrialization, before we had any of these innovations. They want you to basically go back to the life of uh, uh, nobles and, and kings. And they just they, they, they want you to have nothing. Yeah, it's Al Gore. He's been doing it for so many years now. That was the inconvenient truth. He had that that movie 
And when he was confronted about some of the information, you know, like the polar bears aren't actually all going to go extinct and so on. The the woman that, that was representing him at the film junket just said it was it's just, it's just a film junket. We're not here to debate or, you know, actually provide you with any factual information other than we're just here to show the movie and promote it. You know, so we can't answer your, your objections. <laughs> there's no I mean, there's no real there's no real debate on it. Another. Yeah. And of course, there, there's no. They, they still haven't addressed, I think, one of Alan's listeners. In fact, I need to look at, look into this more and remember his name and his, his website and everything. One of Alan's listeners actually has a website up and they have a act, sunspot activity. They talk about how that, you know, how that, you know, corresponds with a lot of the weather and you know, different uh, the solar activity in general, how, how much how much of an effect that has on climate change. And it's just not uh, this is just basic science that really is not being taught. and. It's so, uh, there's also the issue of islands as well that Alan has linked to, by the way. Alan has linked to uh, the fact that islands have gone, disappeared, but they've also, while certain islands can disappear and go under the sea because of, you know, movement and, and uh, erosion and different uh, tectonic activity and, you know, volcanic activity and so on. There's a new islands being formed of sandbars and also volcanoes, you know, lava hardening and forming rocks that just pile on top of rocks and eventually you have new islands and so so like for you know for example like they'll say well see the sea levels are rising this island has appeared you know it's not it's all it's all not true or it is true but it's because there's there's also other islands being formed elsewhere it's not really like it's not really an indication that we're running out of land or something you know right well and it, so, I, I just want to hit something real quick before we move too far from it you you were mentioning sunspots uh, and how that affects weather. Uh, Sunspots typically it's like an eleven-year cycle. You'll have uh, low activity, and then you'll have higher activity. So there'll be eleven years of no sunspots, then about eleven years of sunspots. Right? It, it constantly goes mm -hmm. in a cycle. When there's no sunspots, we typically have calmer weather. It, it gets a little cooler. It, it you know it, things are less active in and as far right. as storms. When the the sunspots are visible, that that is typically more solar radiation hitting us uh, that's causing more energy to be uh, put into our atmosphere, which does trigger more weather events and those kind of things, right? Uh, so th there is a big change in uh, just from the sun. But that's that's what everything that's what everything's spinning around with climate change is it all comes back to the sun. if it if it wasn't for the solar radiation hitting us, you wouldn't have any of the climate change situations or or whatever they're 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 trying to say you know is is happening. Well, you wouldn't have climate in general. You would just be a if, just if be we dead. didn't have the sun. Yeah, it'd just be a <laughs> frozen planet. So yeah, yeah. And again, with the communist co uh, connection, I I think I should have mentioned this earlier. I wanted to mention since the Occidental Petroleum, which uh, Al Gore was involved in, his dad was buddies with the CEO, or at least the first CEO of it, uh, Armin Hammer. And of course, Armin Hammer was, you know, pals with Lenin and actually had a pencil factories in, in the Soviet Union in the early days to help, you know, kickstart that country, the um, country's industry, really helped out the Soviet Union and uh, profited off the Soviet Union, really. He was something of a celebrity in the Soviet Union, Armin Hammer. And, uh, you know, that, that, so that's, you know, his, Al Gore's dad, I think it was, who was also a senator, was buddies with uh, Armin. So they were, they, that's another little communist. I mean, all those hot, all, all the communists are, at least the leading communists, that they're all top capitalists. I think uh, Armin Hammer's father was like the leader of like the Socialist International or something in the U.S. And, you know, he, he was, you know, considered. And that's one of the reasons why Armin was allowed to go to the Soviet Union in the early days and set up companies and, you know, get business deals with the Soviet government because, you know, they knew his dad. 
I think his, I think his dad's name was Julius Hammer or Julian Hammer. I can't remember. Um, so you know that that's who Al Gore, uh, the Occidental Petroleum. And I mean that's that was Armin Hammer's oil oil company. So there's a connection right there. Uh, and the, all the all the communists are all from the beginning. They've always been the, the top capitalists. They're the, the, the ones who promote the communist agenda the most forcibly, and the, you know, of course, they're the ones who had all the funding for it and so on. And in fact, you know, the Soviet Union couldn't have existed without the support of the top capitalists. Which they did. Uh, I think there was like the Red Cross mission early on in the Soviet Union to help them, and also they did a. Uh, you know, they gave the oil industry of Tsarist Russia was destroyed during the revolution, the Russian Revolution, and so they had to import American rigs and so on and so uh everything i mean and of course we had to import grain imports right in the middle of the cold war anthony sutton came out with that and also uh, you know so i mean really without the support of the top ca- capitalists you know the communism really wouldn't be a thing at least not anywhere near as big as a thing as it was and i think alan linked to an article in britain about the communist party and what what's left of it i should say and what's left of it is a bunch of rich people or relatively well-to-do people there's no there's no working class people in the communist party anymore no one believe no no one actually takes you know marxist theology seriously and so the only people left are, are the rich people who you know are very attached to it because you know it just uh, it was very profitable for those who lead communism to have communism and it's a very efficient way of ruling the lower classes and that's the reason why they they funded it in the first place it's odd that uh you were talking about armin and i, I looked into armin a little bit and kind of uh was putting it together because i i had never looked into it uh, the their family that... immigrated from russian the the russian empire before mm-hmm. it went soviet he was uh, the guy i just found it interesting funded, he funded joe biden by the way in yeah. to get him into the senate yeah um but they they called uh, armin um they called him uh the Lenin's chosen capitalist by the press mm-hmm. uh, because of his ties with the Soviet Union. Interesting. So I would like to transition into, because we're having a great dialogue, but you're talking about how capitalists have been supporting these communist regimes. Even when we listened to Yuri Bezmenov, when he talked about the solutions to these problems dealing with the, uh, the international communist conspiracy, he said, you capitalists, you better stop funding these communists. Stop doing business with these murderers. Stop doing business with these killers, or you will sell the ropes from which you will hang. It's a foregone conclusion. If you continue to do it, if you cannot curb your appetite for profit, 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 then your fate is most certainly sealed. Moving of our businesses, our industry to China, in all Western nations has been a big problem. And you've probably been wondering, why has that happened? If you're in a Western country, or if you're in Australia or any any of these places, why has that happened? Who's responsible for that? Well, there just so happens to be someone who is responsible for that. Now, yeah, there's a lot of things that go into this, of course. It's not just one person. One guy. Yeah. But this one guy in particular had a massive amount of influence to get these things moved. And that was a guy by the name of Maurice Strong. Do you want to give a quick background, Weston, on who Maurice Strong was before we play this clip of Alan here? Yeah, so Maurice Strong came from a family of revolutionaries. His, his uh, aunt, uh, Anna Louise Strong, was a pal of Lenin. It was a pal as close to uh, Mao and Zhou Enlai, I think. Zhao Enlai, I think his name was. Another influential or member of the Communist Party in China that helped set every the, set up the current Communist China that we know today, and uh, she was buried in that in the cemetery along with Mao and them. And then, of course, Mari Strong uh, was picked up by the Rockefellers and trained in the oil business, and then eventually went into, interestingly enough, and this is not just Mari Strong. I mean, other oil companies have done the same similar sort of thing. They've gone into sustainability, environmentalism, 
And they, uh, and Robert Strong in particular uh, presided over the Earth Summit he's known for, which produced Agenda 21 and uh, biodiversity treaties and uh, the Earth Charter and this sort of thing. And they, uh, and he, he actually said uh, flat out that, you know, once we're finished, you're going to wish you had the rights of a tree because all, one of the ideas of the Earth Charter is that all these natural organisms besides men, that they they have all these rights. And so human beings, you know, that own the land, like they shouldn't be allowed to just cut down the tree if they feel like it, or they shouldn't be allowed to just hunt and fish and all these other things. And we shouldn't even, like, we should repopulate wild areas with uh, carnivores, like wolves and things and bears. Well, these, these animals were killed off by humans for a reason, because they would kill all their livestock. And they didn't get along well with humans. They would give us repeated encounters. Um, but, you know, we are the rewilding has already happened in some parts of the world. And uh, and also they had like uh, as well as like arcs. There's there another part of sustainability, the Agenda 21, that uh, it was very interesting, but it's not really talked about where they would freeze the eggs of animals, and they had, like each uh, species of animal because of, and, and all the other different plants and so on, because of all the bioengineering that they plan to do in the future. They want to be able to have the original wild species. So preserved in these arcs, they call them. And uh, so, you know, that uh, just in case, you know, the bioengineering uh, gets out of control, uh, they, they can still have the original species for their, you know, survival. But of course, the general public is, is pretty kept, uh, pretty clueless and they won't, they certainly won't be benefiting from these uh, massive, expensive projects that are going on. Okay, I think I got off topic. Uh, topic I'm sorry. Back to Marsh Strong. No, I, so, I understand. He, I Just on the ARC thing, I did know that uh, about 10 years ago, I learned that Bill Gates was funding an ARC project in, uh, I want to say it was like the one of the most northern remote parts of Norway, where it's uh -huh. frozen all year long and they've got a, a seed vault up there. And it's it's right. basically it's it's all like the original seeds. That's nothing GMO or anything like that. And that's yeah, yeah. You gotta preserve the natural for themselves because uh, you know I think Charles Galton Darwin said said in the in the next million years his book he said we gotta be the wild men. We have to be unaltered. You know, with the, the fill in order to fulfill the guardian role in Plato's Republic, for example, like you'd have to be you'd have to retain all your survival instincts, all your natural instincts. So you couldn't you couldn't be altered yourself. And of course, they want also a part of the not being altered is not. And also they want the, the to have the unaltered animals as well, you know, just in case, you know, it, it turns out that which actually it's not just in case they know. They know that these, these modified organisms are going to be a lot of trouble for themselves, you know, so they had the uh, modified ones that aren't as troublesome. But yeah, it's back to Marvis Strong. So he has uh, passed away not that long ago, several years ago now, I think. And he uh, the reason he ended up dying in China, was buried in the same cemetery his aunt was with Mao as well. The reason why he lived out his last days in China was because he got caught taking a bribe from a South Korean businessman uh, and as part of the UN uh, food for oil scandal. And uh, so, or oil for food scandal, I'm sorry. And so he, since he was caught taking a bribe, he just ran away and went to China where he knew he'd mm -hmm. be safe. Yeah. You know, I, I first heard about this joker. I want to say it was like maybe 10, 12 years ago, something like that. And this quote that he said at the 1992 Earth Summit in Rio is what stood out to me the most. He says, isn't the only hope for the planet that the industrialized civilizations collapse? Isn't it our responsibility to bring that about? Hmm. You might want to look into somebody that says that on an international stage like that. This is Alan Watts' take on Maury Strong. Like Dorothy a Lion, Tin Man and Scarecrow, and the Wizard of Oz, we've all been dancing down the real brick road of settled science, as they call it, 
the pretense of it, you see, in search of answers from the Emerald City, only to find that we've been, what we suspected all along, the wizard has been telling us fibs. But who exactly is a wizard? And where did this seeming madness all begin? So they go into some of it, and they mention Maurice Strong. He's one big player. She says, the whole climate change business, and it is a business, started with Mr. Strong. But it started with the Club of Rome, too, who were given the task, this big think tank, given the task of finding a way that they could literally rule the people from their own excuses, basically, to, to, to do so. So they came up with the idea of climate change and how humanity was destroying the planet. That's what they claimed. So man was the enemy. So you'd need naturally experts to rule you, you see, because you couldn't rule yourselves. It said that would fit the bill, or the words of the, the, those in the Club of Rome. Anyway, it says, Maurice Strong, a self-confessed socialist. Now, you understand what he means by this. This is a multi-millionaire socialist, because he was created and brought up the ladder to be a multi-millionaire socialist by the Royal Institute for International Affairs, Daesh Council on Foreign Relations. It says, was the man who put the United Nations into environmental business, being the shadowy figure behind the UN Secretaries General uh, from Uthant to Kofi Annan. His reign of influence in world affairs lasted from 1962 to 2005. Strong has been variously called the international man of mystery, the new guy in your future, and a very dangerous ideologue. Made his fortune in the oil and energy business running companies such as Petro Canada Power Corporation. You, you surprised how <laughs> the Desmarais family, uh, that is Power Corporation, they call it, they churn out leaders. And they've churned out goddess of many prime ministers for Canada, for instance, and for corporations as well, CEOs. But anyway, it says Canada Power, Power Corporation, uh, Caltex, Africa, Hydro Canada. The Colorado Lands and, and Cattle Company, Ajax Petroleum, Canadian Industrial Oil and Gas, to name just a few. But he was really a frontman for the Rockefellers. Complete, they created him totally from the beginning. They picked him up as a kid and made him what he is. He's a frontman. So his private interests always seemed to be in conflict with his personal persona and his work on the world stage. Strong's extensive range of contracts within the power brokers of the world was exceptional. One admirer uh, christened him uh, the Michelangelo of networking. He described himself as a socialist in ideology and a capitalist in methodology. But see, uh, the, the idea, those who enrich themselves at the, at the CFR and Royal Institute for International Affairs at the top always fill their pockets. They believe that they're the, the world's natural rulers. So we came, we saw, <laughs> he died. <laughs> and when they're picked up, they're told that too to give them a little bit more incentive to keep climbing the ladder in these private clubs. And socialism is the way of controlling the population through laws with, with panels of experts, which is Sovietism, the, the meaning of rule by councils, folks, for those who don't know that. In 1972, he organized the Youth uh, First Earth Summit the Stockholm Conference on the Human Environment, and it led to the formation of the UN Environment Programme with Maurice Strong as it, as it said. Later, as the UNEP boss, he organised the first international expert group meetings on climate change. It led to exotic UN-sponsored organisations such as the Earth Council and Earth Charter. 
and that was also drafted up by the Rockefellers and strong fronted for it. The World Resources Institute, the World Wildlife Fund, which is again the head at that time was um, Prince Philip, and later the Commission for World Governance and the United Nations University for Peace. Remember what the, what the old communist adage was too, this real socialism idea, the test bed for all. And believe me, that the heads of, of the Soviet system filled their pockets too, by the way, if you think it's a different separate organization. And they, they said that for them, peace was the end of all opposition. That's how they defined peace. So Strong was a driving force behind the idea for world governance by the United Nations. And look at all organizations now attached to universities for world governance. Hmm? And he dreamt up a world tax on monetary transactions of 0.5%, which would have given the UN an annual income of $1.5 trillion. That's on top of all the other money they get. But equal then to the income of the USA. The stumbling block was the Security Council and their power of veto. So he devised a plan to get rid of Secretary Security Council, but failed to get it implemented. Then along came the idea that global warming might just be the device, you know, to get his world governance proposal up and running. And it wasn't his, folks, as I say, it's an organization, very old organization. It runs your central banks. It runs your World Bank, your IMF, and the Bank for International Settlements. They didn't believe, these guys never believed that, that uh, the people were fit for democracy and could be ever trusted in democracy. But they would use democracy uh, to, uh, as an excuse to invade other countries that didn't have a semblance of it. Hmm? Strong was appointed Secretary General of the Air Summit and in 1992, imagine they pretty well like, uh, create the organization, then appoint themselves as head. Eh? In 1992, addressed Air Summit in Rio. And they told the thousands of climate change delegates, it is clear that current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, consumption of large amounts of frozen and convenience foods, use of fossil fuels, appliances, home and workplace air conditioning and suburban housing are not sustainable. And so basically, they said they'd have to end, and this is, this is me, Lebanon here too, from other articles about him. He said that they would, they would have to basically end a lot of consumerism, be post-consumer, and you're going to austerity. That's the idea behind it. And also, they had big meetings where Strong and others, but he did say that, that they'd have to um, eliminate, destroy Western Manufacturing. And you think they've got a say in anything? Do you really think that? Because the organizations, all these organizations I've mentioned, they're not, they're not, you don't get any say in it. They don't ask for your opinion on anything. They don't care about your opinion on anything. From the United Nations, multifaceted organization, all the way down to anything else, you, you never ask your opinion on anything. Never mind your vote on it. You don't get that either. You don't vote these guys in. And it says, there goes the Sunday roast that house to live in. I haven't seen a Sunday roast since for years and years. The occasional hamburger and generally life on earth as we know it. But what Strong didn't tell the delegates was that he was involved in the purchase of the Colorado Land and Cattle Company, which he bought from uh, Adrian Khashoggi. Remember Khashoggi? Huh? 
an arms dealer who had strong connections with the Bin Laden family. Interesting how they all come together, the heroes and the zeros, eh? This is a 200,000-acre property called the Baca, had two hidden secrets. Now, one was it it sat above uh, vast underground water systems. It's actually the largest aquifer system in the United States. just happens to be that. And Strong wanted it to, they wanted to remove the water. Being informed of the American Water Development Corporation to exploit the water by pumping it out for commercial intent, but was stopped by the locals who feared it would destroy the delicate environment, well, it destroyed their cattle systems and everything, and their farming. Here's the power of these, these crooks, eh? But don't forget, too, I think it was Rockefeller who actually owned that back ranch. The, um, McLean's magazine in Canada and I've got the the original magazine I actually had a big article about Maurice Strong and he he set up a big new age movement there with all kinds of of new age religion types to try and get together he said and create a new culture for the world he had all gurus from India he had people he had Buddhists he had all kinds of, of new agers there too and you find, see, they create the New Agers to, for you to follow. They do. And you'll find they're always going the same direction. Of, we've all got to be one. We've all got to be together in, in, this, in this world of ours. We must all agree with the same agendas, blah, blah, blah. Hmm? Well, they train these folks. Folk. They always train your leaders, always. Just like Maurice Strong himself was trained for his position. But yeah, the McLean's magazine had a, a good article on the Baca Grande development there. He said too that Morris Strong had been uh, told by a mystic, had mystics, that's what he said, yeah, that the Baca would become the center for a new planetary order which would evolve from the economic collapse and environmental catastrophes that would sweep the globe in the years to come. And you know something, you will get certain catastrophes because you won't be able to heat yourself or use air conditioning for those who are in really hot climates. And you won't get meat anymore unless you can really afford incredible prices, which puts most of the people out of the picture. And at the last meeting at the Paris climate change thing, again, massive articles compiled by think tanks, obviously, to eliminate your intake of meat. It really is fascinating to, to reminisce for me. It's all reminiscing for me because I, I studied Maurice Strong. I gave lots of talks on Maurice Strong. I can remember too when he went to Russia and they laid out the red carpet, lots and lots of it, for Mr. Maurice Strong to walk on as though he was royalty. I'd never seen that done before for anybody. But they, they certainly knew who he was. By the way, it was, I did articles on him too, because he had um, his his aunt, who was he belonged to a revolutionary family, intergenerational. And his aunt was was an advisor to I think it was Mao Zedong, the leader of, of communism in China. Her grave was next to his over there in China. And an article in one of the Canadian papers said that he was over there visiting the grave of his auntie. Then he set up there his home for a long time and still worked for the United Nations, working on uh, 
setting all their businesses up in, in, in China from the West, which we all paid for as they all got moved over there. Did you get to vote in the, in the office, folks? Of course you didn't. Most folk don't even know about it even today. So these are the, the real technocrats that created and groomed, picked up young and groomed for the positions. And that's what a technocrat is. Now, also, Maurice Strong was busy founding the Earth Council Institute in 1992 and recruiting world luminaries such as Michael Gorbachev, Shimon Peres, Al Gore and David Rockefeller. In 2000, Earth Charter was formed as a further push by Strong to create a world government body or governing body. That's you call it governing, you see. <laughs> but it's government, of course. You don't need a place even for, for government. You can be scattered across the planet. Although eventually they will have one, for sure. I'm sure they will. They're the builders, remember. The builders. And in 2005, the most powerful man pushed to save humanity by steady promotion of the theory of human-induced greenhouse gases was caught with his hand in the tail. In the investigations of the United Nations Oil for Food program found it strong and endorsed a check for $988,885 made out to M. Strong, issued by a Jordanian bank. The man who gave the check, South Korean businessman Tong Sung Park, was convicted in 2006 in a U.S. federal court of conspiring to bribe U.N. officials Strong resigned and fled to Canada and thence to China, where he's been living ever since he's dead now. Weston, I don't know if you've heard that clip before uh, or that talk yeah, it before. sounds familiar, although it's been a while. It does sound familiar to me. Um, That's amazing. That That is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, as I said, I, I knew who Strong was and I knew kind of what, you know, he set up over the years, but nothing as in-depth as that. Yeah, the global governance thing, you know, that was very much Strong's uh, pet project. And we, we tend to forget, you know, about the, the Paris Climate Agreement, uh, you know, so on, it, it, the, all the E's and so on. I mean, those are still, like I mentioned in our, I think, one of the previous episodes that we did together. The, the World Bank and then all the UN institutions, they still fully intend to implement those, you know. <laughs> Um, because you know everyone's distracted by Corona at the time and any war in Ukraine, but no, the SDGs are still real and they're still going on. Uh, they're going to do it, and of course they have all these uh, Extinction Rebellion and, and different environmental groups telling us that we have to cut everything and tighten our belts. And so uh, all the agendas yeah. are in play. The uh, the the replacing of meat. Uh, it's going to be a plant based future. Uh, it's going to be all, all the systems that, that they control. Everything that he worked to help build, the architecture that, that he built and that he's responsible for is now being pushed through as this great reset agenda from Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. Yeah, that's right. I think instead of calling climate change plan A, I really should say it's part of it's still ongoing, really. I mean, technically, they haven't given up officially, at least they haven't given up on, on climate change. It's submitted. OK, maybe maybe we were wrong about anthropogenic. Uh, global warming and or climate change or what or man-made climate change or whatever you know they never i mean prince harry and 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 all the other major al gore all the different pushes they're still pushing it and so they haven't given up on all climate change added the pandemic on, and you know i don't want it to come to this but you know again if if people resist too many people resist the climate change agenda too many people resist the coronavirus or pandemic uh, agenda where they not just vaccination, but also destruction of economy and all the rest of it. If, you know, if it's uh, not working and they can't get us, they can't get their agenda through that way of sustainability, 
then they'll just, they will, I, I think, you know, the possibility of a war. Uh, there's, a, you know, I mean, whatever it takes to get the ran the agenda through, they will do, and they never give up. So there's always like, you know, like the, you know, Russia being the big bad bear. You know, that's always you know, they they always keep a, you know, they don't let the, you know, when a good enemy just go to waste. You know, they they always keep the, you know, just in case they might need an enemy. You always get the big bad bear of Russia or whatever that's going to scare us and force us to go on rationing and austerity, etc. To get the sustainability agenda through. I have no doubt that that's the path that Russia and China are both fully on board with. And it's not for them. That's for you. Mm -hmm. That's for me. That's for everybody here in the West. They're not going to abide by it. That's for you. Again, Strong came from a revolutionary family. He went to the Soviet Union and had the red carpet rolled out for him. Yeah. And again, Armin Hammer was a similar sort of treatment. I think he lived right next door to Lenin uh, at one point when he was there in the Soviet Union which he frequently visited. So, you know, he, again, he, since Mari Strong was, uh, you know, uh, part of the Rockefeller's oil business and so on, he's part of the same business. And, and of course, and he's trained by the leading capitalists. And since hence he's royalty in, uh, in, in there, over there, because uh, that's, they, they know who uh, is the real, really in charge of ca uh, communism and, and, you know, the pull of beer and so on. And the connection to Khashoggi, that that one caught me out of left field. I wasn't I wasn't prepared for that one. Right. Uh, the, yeah, the... Uh, Khashoggi. Now, it, it, keep in mind, this is Khashoggi. This that was the um, uh, it was the elder who was uh, Saudi. He was an arms dealer and he was the owner of that cattle ranch in Colorado mm -hmm. that he bought that he did a deal with strong on. Now, it's not the same Khashoggi that a lot of people could probably confuse that the uh, the Khashoggi that we know now was the nephew of that Saudi arms dealer. That's the Washington Post journalist that wandered into the um, the Saudi embassy and was never heard from again. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, it I is. Mean, now, of course, he's Khashoggi, the arms dealer, is connected to the bin Laden family as well. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, all the same names just keep on popping up over and over again. Yeah. Bruce, your um, thoughts on uh, Mr. Strong there? Some of the things that were pointed out in that video clip, you, you can see in the, the, the current agenda that they're doing, like uh, as an example here in the, at least at the time of recording, they're talking about uh, tax hikes uh, here in the US uh, or, or we're dealing with inflation, we're dealing with price hikes in general. Uh, the, the people that it's hurting the most is the middle class. In fact, the uh, tax, um, the, those... 80 some thousand IRS agents that they just recently hired, um, they're all going to go after the uh, middle class. That's what statistics show. If you make below $70,000, the IRS will go after you. If you make more than that, you have the funds or potentially have the funds to fight them in court. And the, the costs of fighting in court versus your payout, um, they, they just, it, it, it's not it, cost effective for them to go after you. Uh, and then the other things that we're seeing with the uh, uh, climate change agenda, as we talked about earlier, uh, we have to give up our luxuries, meats, those kind of things. Those are all current talking points of the left heating, right now. Heating, air conditioning. Heating. Yeah. Um, energy production in general. Um, yeah. All of that is uh, on the chopping block, really. Uh, you're, you're not allowed to have any of those things because it uses... Um, uh, fossil fuels, which are uh, producing CO2. So you have to go green, which means you can't produce enough energy to power those things. So it, it, it's essentially 
to say you own nothing and you'll be happy about it that doesn't that doesn't quite ring true to what they're actually doing to you you'll own nothing correct but they would hope that you don't even live like they're they're it, it, they're depopulationists yeah they want control and but in in the end of things they're they're trying to kill off as much as many humans as possible Belinda Handbasket, that article that we recently posted that he, he recently wrote October 10th, um, he made the comment that he thinks that, well, the reason why they think they say you're the, you'll own nothing and be happy, the reason why they think you'll be happy is because they don't understand the concept of happiness because they're psychopaths. So that was his explanation for what that comment. <laughs> I thought that was a it makes good perfect one. sense. And another, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, my <laughs> takeaway from from all of this, mm-hmm. everything that we've reviewed tonight, and I like I like I said, I I mean I'm sorry about all the audio, but it was all relevant to our discussion and what we we're going to talk about today. This no, is great. this yeah. is uh, yeah, yeah, thank you. This is Marxism. Th- this is full blown global communist Marxism through and through. Socialist what whatever you want to call it, but it's disguised with a green face. As you said, green on the outside, red on the inside. Wes, and your final thoughts. All right. So I would say another, uh, you know, like just to mention some of the things that they're labeling as luxuries that can't continue, such as heating and air conditioning, depending on which climate you live in. Like, for example, if you live where Alan lived in Ontario in in Sudbury, or really a stair, if you live there, you know, you didn't have heating in the winter, you're going to freeze to death. It's not a luxury. It's a a necessity. And so... uh, Really, by limiting this, uh, they, they know, I mean, they, they, they are very well aware that this is going to cause deaths and excess deaths in the winter has been well documented in the UK and Europe and so on, that the, there are so many excess deaths in the winter that wouldn't necessarily have happened, ha- had to have happened had these people had better living conditions. And so, you know, this is uh, clearly, uh, you know, not just some happy hold hands uh, around the world and sing kumbaya uh, sort of thing. It's uh, it's very much a very uh, aggressive, totalitarian, uh, anti-human agenda, eugenics agenda as well. It ties into eugenics because it's the poor people dying off, whereas the people who have secured for themselves a higher position in the economic system, they're going to have... Uh, you know, the, the amenities to keep themselves, uh, you know, healthy and alive and also real meat to eat as well. And other things that uh, lots of protein, high protein foods, you know, whereas, you know, if you're poor, you won't, you won't be able to afford that with the coming uh, price hikes and tax hikes, including all the different carbon taxes and so on, which in Canada and Europe and in some places in the United States, they've already have actually. So it's uh, carbon taxes are well they've been doing for years. And then, of course, there's other taxes on top of that as well. And so I guess my final thought is uh, we, you know, or not we, I should say, but each individual person who, you know, sees this happening, you have to wonder, you know, okay, you know, if they're going to lie to us about climate change and and try to, and then lie to us about coronavirus and, and try to get around that through and then try to lie to us about our, you know, how, you know, all the sorts of lies about uh, the wars and so on that have happened over the years. You know, is there really... I think the, the the lesson here is not never to how can you trust the media on anything and how can you trust your politicians on anything how can you trust the experts on anything and I think uh, that's an interesting you know thought to leave off on because I think you know if you think back to where your opinions come from is because you were said you know you were taught in school or you were, you heard this expert on TV tell you this I think it's time to reexamine you know reality at this point at least if you haven't done so already I mean I, I don't want to be arrogant and say that you haven't already done so but. I'm sure many people haven't. I know I, I haven't still. There's still things that I learned. That I'm like, what? I've always thought that was true, you know? So 
think it's a good closing note for me. Again, Weston from CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. I encourage all of our listeners to go over and give that a look. Uh, they do some great work over there. So, Weston, I want to thank you for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. As always, we'll see you in two weeks. For those of you who would like to send us some feedback, please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast at protonmail.com. Also, do you like the podcast you're listening to? We do love having you as a listener, and we would ask you to pass this along to five friends. Do you know someone you're trying to wake up and get them to think on their own? We would appreciate it very much if you would send them our direction. It's been an absolute pleasure, gentlemen. Thank you both for being here this evening. Thank you to all of the listeners. Everyone have a great evening. Thank you.